0: For 44 years, the Golden State Killer eluded authorities. And I want to get into the details of the crimes, because they're extremely heinous. But from 1974 to 1986, this man terrorized the state of California to the tune of, I think it was around 162 felony crimes in that time span, many of them violent crimes. Nine months from retirement, and after spending 24 years investigating this killer, investigator um, Paul Holes had an idea. He began looking back through all the case files and grabbing whatever DNA evidence he could get his hands on that was left or still good, and he started plugging it into gedmatch.com, which is essentially... The same thing as like ancestry.com 23andme.com people who use these websites who want to figure out their family trees and their genetic history so he starts plugging this info into these different websites and a kind of a long shot because <clears throat> he really wanted to figure out is this uh, is there something i can do to figure out who this was and he gets back 10 to 20 distant relatives he got a hit he got a trail that he could begin to follow there were some seeds that had sprouted through the surface. So as he began this trail, it took him all the way back to the 1800s, and he found the common ancestor of the Golden State Killer. It was his great, great, great grandparents. And from those two people, he and his team began to build out these family trees to try to fill in every blank and find out every name they could and research those names. They ended up building 25 different family trees. Out of this DNA evidence, they ended up filling out one thousand different names of relatives into these blanks. They were using old newspaper clippings, gravesite locators, police databases, uh, Lexis nexus. They used every absolutely everything they could think of that would lead them to a name that, to fill out on the family tree and It took them months and months of research and this was They were doing this on the weekends. They were doing this at night. This was kind of their pet project. It was not an active investigation that they spent most of their day doing. However, months later, they filled out all the names, and then they began the process of elimination by gender, time period, location. And by doing those things, they actually narrowed the list down to two people. They eliminated one based on a relative's DNA, and so they focused their efforts on one person an, an ex cop that was living in Sacramento, California and they put him under surveillance they grabbed a hold of a discarded piece or a discarded item that contained dna they plugged it into the database and it was a match so for 40 years or 44 years after the first crime and after the state of California had spent more resources than any other criminal case in their history they arrested a man named James, or Joseph James D'Angelo. This happened last month, just a few weeks ago in late April. All because the ancient seeds of DNA from the 1800s sprouted through the surface and revealed who the killer was. And to think about DNA, um, the diameter of a DNA molecule is 2 nanometers apart. And then, you know, for comparison's sake, the diameter of a human hair is 100,000 nanometers apart so dna is tiny and the microscopic seeds of dna that were sowed led to him being arrested led to justice and this is the nature of the kingdom of christ only the seeds are good not evil this is how the kingdom of christ works and that's what we're going to read today in matthew chapter 13 and we're going to read verses 30 through 31 first book of the new testament It's on page 684 and um, if, if you don't know most of you probably do Jesus loved to teach in parables he loved to use metaphor um, it was very culturally appropriate um, in that time period to use these types of things and this is one of the parables it's called the parable of the mustard seed and it's really short verses 30 and 31 um, I'm sorry 31 and 32 I'm starting with verse 31 He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. Mustard seeds are also tiny, one to two millimeters in diameter, but out of those springs growth and life, and that's the DNA of the kingdom, and we like to think that's the DNA of our church. Um, speaking and it's these small moments these small acts these small movements these seemingly potentially meaningless responses or gut feelings we have of of the spirit leading us to do something or to say something in a particular moment or circumstance that's when seeds are planted the seeds of Christ and love and truth can be sown into the hearts and minds of others and typically we don't know if they're landing on uh, concrete or we don't know we don't know if they're landing on soft soil but we sow anyway. And we have a track record. There's a history and it goes much further than the golden state kill, you know, the 1800s. It goes 2000 years back of the seeds of the of the kingdom being sown. There's a track record, a history of world change of people who responded to the seeds of love and truth and made a move and changed something. And over time it grew, it matured, and in some cases exponential changes happened in the world because people responded to these little, you know, in these little moments and made small movements. That's the tradition that we live into in our church. And the other night at um, we're Carrie and I are leading another discipleship huddle right now in in our missional community. And we had them over on Friday night. And we we talked about these little moments of Christ nudging us every second of the day because being a disciple isn't necessarily about us doing more it's about recognizing jesus's presence in every moment of the day and there are three rhythms that we've talked about over the years that we see throughout scripture there's an up rhythm an out and an in Um, so what that means is jesus spent time with his father up he spent time with his disciples his closest friends the people who knew him well in and then he spent time with people and met people and engaged people and allowed them access to him who didn't really know him. And that's out. So up and out is the rhythm we talk about in huddle. Huddle, <clears throat> And we do this naturally every day. I think when we, sometimes when we think of being a Christian, we think of, okay, what do I have to do next? Like how, what do I have to do b- better at? And it's not necess- that's really kind of missing the point. It's really about just being more intentional with the moments we naturally have in our life about what we're going to do and the seeds that that God wants to sow in those moments. The other day I was, um, I think it was like 70 degrees on Thursday or Wednesday. It was beautiful. The wind was blowing. Um, I was reading the entire book of Revelation in one sitting for some seminary assignment, and I'm like, this sucks. i got to get out. Um, I don't recommend reading Revelation in one sitting. It's not that much fun. So I grabbed my dog. We're like, listen, I got to get out. I got to enjoy this weather. So we went walk, on a walk around the neighborhood. And um, I had a few moments where I stopped thinking about stuff. And I was present in my surroundings. Like, because like, we all do that. We're driving and we're not mentally present while driving. Uh, I joke around that I have parenting brain. Someone calls me or if I'm, th- there's times I'll get in in the van and I'll be thinking about something, and I will drive 15 minutes in the wrong direction because I'm not mentally present in the moment. I'm thinking of something else. Or if I'm on the phone, that's a recipe for disaster when it comes to me going the right way. It's kind of a normal routine of Carrie saying, what are you doing? You're going to miss your turn, and I drive right by it because I'm not mentally in the moment. So mentally, I'm in the moment, and I'm noticing uh, the trees kind of waving in the wind. I hear birds chirping. I feel actually like embrace like the sun and it's like, oh, a God moment. Like I'm I'm enjoying his creation. And it was just a few blips on the radar that day. But that's what we're talking. Those are the seeds of, of, of receiving that we have the opportunity to engage in. It doesn't take a huge trip. It doesn't take a, a huge gathering of people. Uh, it doesn't take a magnetic speaker or an amazing band or, or whatever amazing Christian experience we want to think about. All it does is take a few people, or even just you and God being present in the moment and, and wondering, okay, I wonder what he's saying right now or, or enjoying his presence or his nature or his quality. And that's what we do in our church and in our lives is, is we embrace and we share these small seeds of his presence. Um, you know, when it comes to, that, that's up, and when it comes to in, You know, a discipleship huddle the other night, uh, maybe maybe it's a missional community, a birthday party, an Oriole game, uh, an impromptu dinner, a, a wedding reception. These are moments that you might become part of where you're surrounded by your closest friends, you know, Christian brothers and sisters, and something really special happens. And it's not even planned. It's just you're enjoying the moment. You're dwelling in the presence of laughter or of sharing stories. Uh, of, of confession of sharing details or thoughts or concerns or worries you know maybe there's even prayer involved there's usually food and drink involved and there's just something sacred happens <clears throat> in those moments and it's nothing big it, it's a small moment but it has the potential to be a, a, to have exponential impact I had one of those moments in our huddle the other night we were done with huddle and then afterwards uh, Kevin Berry and I were hanging out in our living room and it um, We were just sitting there talking, not, it it was not intentional talk. There was no agenda. We just started talking about life and then Jesus came up and we just started, it just started like snowballing into this really special moment. There was no big decisions made. There was no huge questions asked or big challenges or massive moments of clarity. It was just two guys enjoying each other's company and we could tell Christ was in the moment with us. That's in, that's sacred. Those are seeds of the gospel um, that, that Jesus is planting in our lives and that will probably sprout. Life is shared. Christ is shared. Um, out, um, and when we think of out, we think about engaging people that don't know Jesus. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you an example of something I would say is not good. I was out in uh, Chinatown, Last week, with my brother and sister-in-law, sister-in-law, and we were, we did a segway tour. Thanks, Austin and Sam, for signing me up for that. Uh, inspired, Carrie. And next thing I know, I'm riding around on a segway with a yellow vest on and a yellow helmet. And I'm like, man, I feel like such a goober. Like it was just, uh, it was fun though. The segway was fun. Um, <clears throat> we're in Chinatown, and there's this group of guys. They've got like a barrier set up outside of the metro station, and they got megaphones and pictures of really horrible stuff um, and they're preaching uh, basically they're referring to God and to Jesus and they're preaching against people and I walked by and I they, they kind of came out of nowhere I wasn't really paying attention I just walked up, I, I, like the next thing I know I'm like right in front of them and they're yelling at me I'm like what I'm like what is going on here <clears throat> and I get angry and disappointed and sad and when I run into those people and I just think like I just want to whisper in their ear like there's a better way to do this because that's not out that's not evangelistic that's not good news to anybody and I think sometimes we you know that's a terrible example but we also think that we you know maybe when it comes to engaging people who don't know Christ we have to add stuff to our schedule or um, have like some sort of prepared like one minute spiel to give them to d- explain our faith it's not programmed it's not prepackaged. it that that's not how it works what god can do in those moments are just these natural moments that we have throughout the day it's when you're sitting in your your space at work or your office and someone walks in and they say i need to talk to you or i need to ask you a question or i need your advice that's a gospel moment that's an out moment or it, it, maybe you somehow find yourself involved in a conflict and <clears throat> maybe it's not even between you and someone else it's between groups of people in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family, and you suddenly become the peacemaker, the voice of reason, the, har- the harmonizer. Those are gospel moments. Like you are sowing seeds of harmony where there is discord, of love where there is hate. There's nothing, you didn't do anything extra. You were just there, but you recognize the opportunity to sow seeds. Um, it's not necessarily, it can be. If you're Andy McNeely, you can walk down the street and talk to anybody, and Jesus is probably going to come up, and they're going to love it, but not all of us are wired like him. Um, You can do that, but for most of us, it's just about these natural moments that we have with our family, our friends, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, where if we actually just pause, and we're present in the moment, God might do something. God might speak through us, whether it's our actual words, or maybe it's just an ear to listen to someone who needs to be listened to someone who's maybe typically ignored and you listen to them and you think about the seeds that are being sown there in a week what kind of and I think like what kind of an impact would that have in a week a year 50 years you might actually change someone's family tree Uh, that you know there might be a dramatic shift in the future of their bloodline because of some word you shared, or a moment that you had with them—it's just a small seed, and who knows what what God will do with it? But we have a track record. We look back two thousand years of, oh, that's how it happens. That's how it works. It's just people being present in the moment and sowing seeds. Um, they're going to be plant, planted. They're going to be watered. They will grow, and we may never realize or even see the effects. But we know heaven's going to come to earth. We have faith that Christ's movement, through our small responses and actions, will flourish in the lives of people we know. So since February, starting in February, we did a major deep dive, like theologically and academically, into the cross and the resurrection. um, More than we've ever done in seven years at Restore. uh, Because those are the two biggest moments in Christianity, the cross and the resurrection. For the next two weeks, we're going to kind of embrace the smallness of our faith we're going we're not going to deep dive theologically we're going to just pause and think about okay what has god done what is he doing right now what will he do with the seeds of the gospel that he's planting in us or through us and i'm i'm going to enjoy that journey Uh, i think with um when it comes to those stories um of sowing seeds or seeing seeds sown or watered or, or sprouting through the surface. Carrie and I have a unique perspective. I notice this in like Restore Social Gatherings. We know more people than anybody else because <clears throat> we've been at more worship gatherings or missional communities or huddles, um, social functions. Like we typically know kind of everybody, like we have a, a, at least a small glimpse of, of most people's lives in our church. And so it's a really cool vantage point <clears throat> because we get to hear or see probably more, I mean, maybe not, but probably more fruit or seeds being sown than anybody else. And it's really, it's one of the great blessings of being pastors of a church. Like, oh, I just get to see God move or hear God move in all these different lives that intersect um, and I forget that sometimes, like, I'll be talking to someone at Restore, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know so-and-so, and I'll fill in the blank, and they're like, I've never met that person. And I'm like, oh yeah, I f- I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the only one that knows the both of you. So it's, it happens quite often. Um, and I want to share a few of those. I want to share some of the things we've seen, particularly over the last year, like the seeds that have been planted or sown in Restore Church. And then next week, you're going to hear from different people. You're going to hear, like, some personal stories um, and if they can't be here, it might be me reading them, but it's going to be their words. So communally, some things I've noticed, and this is not com- exhaustive or, or completed, it's just a few different things I've, I've noticed, I'm like, oh, that's that's Jesus, that's him doing something. Um, so I'm not part of the spring community, but somehow I got inv- invited to their Facebook group, <clears throat> thank you for whoever did that, and so I get to see what you guys are up to, and the the spring got together and, and spent hundreds of dollars putting together care packages for people in need. <clears throat> and you think, if you live in Silver Spring, you, li- you walk and drive by people who are asking for things or who are in need, and it's just part of our day. And we don't, I mean, how often do we actually intentionally plan for those interactions? Because they're coming, and the spring did. They're like, look, th- we, we need to plan and be intentional about those moments that we have with that, with that community. And they created these care packages to hand out whenever those moments arise. And I just thought, I'm like, wow, that is really small and very powerful to be that intentional about these just natural moments that happen in a day. Um, <clears throat> last year, uh, Austin and I ended up, and this was not intentional, we were hanging out in the living room. Uh, I think he popped in. We ended up having a conversation I think two hours in, we were like, okay, we're doing a men's retreat in December. Like that was his, he had a seed of an idea. And I was like fanning the flame, like, all right, let's do it like this. I had no part in it, but I was really excited to see a seed of response to God's voice sprouting through the surface. And then early December, <clears throat> we had an amazing men's retreat. Um, I heard and saw the seeds of Christ's love and truth playing out in that moment. Because, and, and the same thing happened in April uh, with a few women in our church who heard and responded to the voice of God and planned a women's retreat. And I heard and saw stories of Christ's love being planted in the hearts and the minds of women on that retreat. Um, and one of the coolest parts of both was that I had nothing to do with it. I didn't, I didn't do anything. I, I was like, if you need something, tell me. I, th- I cleaned my house for the women's retreat. And I called my buddy uh, to speak at the men's retreat. That's like a piece of cake. Like that's all I did. And God did amazing things in those weekends. Uh, last July, we decided to experiment with something where we didn't meet for our Sunday worship gathering. Instead, we did beach day. We had four baz- baptisms that day. Over 40 RC people went to the beach, brought food. We partied. We played in the ocean. We baptized and celebrated with those decisions. And we're going to do it again this summer, July 29th. We're doing it. No church here, we're going to Ocean City. Uh, so I hope you'll join us in that. If you need a ride, that wasn't a problem. We, we carpooled, and it was awesome. I think the only thing that wasn't awesome was the line to get into Fenwick State Park. That was not awesome. So this year, just arrive before 11 a.m. You'll beat the crowd uh, to the beach. But it was just such an amazing day. Um, last Saturday, Carrie was ordained as a pastor, officially, in our church. And yeah, we were really excited for that. It was for many different reasons, really special and a really amazing moment. And many of you were in attendance. It was just a great night uh, to be there and to experience that. And in the past year, we've taken two teams to Greece to serve Syrian refugees. Um, each team that has gone has had uh, vastly different tasks because in the midst of heartbreaking chaos, you never know what to expect. And so we were, each team walked into di- a different context different circumstances with small acts small movements planting small seeds but we continue to hear stories from our different greek partners of god moving and doing something really powerful in the midst of such tragedy um i can share a a lot of examples uh here's one recently from our last trip that we went on we went to uh northern greece uh to a town outside of thessaloniki and uh it's called Katerini. There's a group of, of Greeks there <clears throat> um, that started going into camps that are, are really the UN camps are ho- horrific conditions for lots of reasons. And they saw this. They started taking blankets and food, and then they noticed like we have to get them out of here. Like the, there's there's no bday that's going to fix this, particularly for the elderly, elderly, the women and the children. So they started. Pulling different people out of these camps, renting apartments in Katarini and housing them and feeding them and giving them psychological care, social workers, English lessons, food, uh, monthly stipend. They founded an organization out of this movement. This movement started as a church movement. Then they founded an NGO called Pericoruses, And then big time organizations like the UN, kind of a big deal, uh, Refugee Aid. Samaritan's Purse saw what they were doing, they started funding it and it started snowballing and now they house over 540 refugees in their city. They've got a preschool, they're teaching them Greek lessons, English lessons, and they are, uh, most of these refugees are going to see, um, either have asylum or are seeking asylum in Katerini, which means they're there to stay. It's either you go to Greece and you stay in Greece or you go back to Syria or you go back to Afghanistan. So those are their two choices because every other country in Europe has shut their borders and they're not letting people, uh, or at least close them dramatically enough that it's just a trickle of people are allowed in these other countries. So it's a big deal. Um, and being, you think about such a massive problem, like how do we respond to that? And, you know, we sent a, a team of five people in December. And here's uh, one story, one quote from a refugee <clears throat> that we served in Um She said, I worked as an assistant in a law office in Damascus. I had a good life, and I left it all behind and fled. My husband's in Germany. He's waiting for us. This war is complete destruction. You, Parachoruses, found us in the state, and you gave us a home to live in, to live like a real family. This woman's husband came to see them while they were still at the camp, and when Uh, Paracoros transferred them from the camp. He was present when they saw the apartment and were given the key. They hugged and kissed and thanked us. And the next day, as the husband was leaving, he told us, "I'm going back to Germany, but I'm leaving my wife and children with my new brothers and sisters. You." So, they they went from a state of complete heartbreak and chaos and worry and anxiety to, "Oh, my family is safe with you. I can go back and continue to pave away." For them into Germany, um, our work at our service to our Greek friends and partners is going to continue. Uh, we have opportunities being presented to us right now that we are prayerfully considering, because we know our work is not done there, and we're trying to figure out: okay, what's our next response? What's our next movement? What are the next seeds uh, that we need to plant <clears throat> uh, in regards to serving this crisis? Uh, we've also seen local refugee support pick up. Uh, we had we are. We had a number of RC members who led and participated in a Thanksgiving dinner with refugees uh, last year. There's also a potential upcoming refugee dinner that's going to be hosted at the living room. And uh, this spring, we celebrated two years at the living room, which is, um, man, a living room has been awesome. We've hosted baby showers, graduation parties, other church communities have used it for their worship gatherings. There's a youth ministry that meets there monthly. We've rented it out for the past few months to an event company uh, that has a staff of like eight or nine people. They're using it by day uh, for for their office. Uh, We've had RC uh, using it for men's gatherings, Bible studies, huddles, missional communities, wine and paint nights. There's a book club that meets there. So many different gatherings and happenings and interactions. Seeds of friendship and of love have happened in that space that we dreamed about years ago. And I just wonder, like, okay, what's, what kind of fruit's going to sprout from all these different interactions, all these different activities and moments and conversations and celebrations that have happened in the living room. And I just thank God for making that happen and for providing a way for us to have a space like that in the city. And we still have three years left on our lease. We're not even, and, and I don't know if anybody remembers this or, or knew about it, but we had a staff member that was going to oversee the living room. And this person didn't come. They couldn't make it. That was, we had him lined up two and a half years ago, three years ago, didn't happen. So for the last two years, it's essentially been like flying by the seat of our pants trying to figure out how can we utilize this with imperfect efforts and and little seeds of of intentionality. And God has made it flourish anyway, which is just kind of how he works. It's like, I'm gonna take what you can give, which is very little, and I'm gonna blow it up. I'm going to make it bigger than you ever thought. And I can't wait till, um, you know, another exciting thing that we've celebrated in the last year is we've interviewed and offered a job and officially hired Brian and Robin Amick. They're going to be full-time staff members at Restore. They're moving here this summer. They're fundraising right now. So be praying for them. Fundraising is no joke. If you've never done it, Um, I like it. Not everybody does, Uh, but their presence and their leadership are not only going to take the living room to the next level, uh, our church in general. They're not residents. They're not leaving. They're staying. Like they're coming. We, we actually, the conversation started with, hey, would you guys like to play in a church and come do a residency with us? And then the conversation ended like, no, we don't want to go play in a church. We just want to stay with the store. And we're like, hey, that's even better. Fantastic. Cause we could use that. So their presence is going to um, just be a huge blessing to us uh, once they arrive. And then we've got Ascension, which we are, ju- we are, you know, we're still figuring this place out, but it's so much. Bigger, a bigger space to meet in. It's the first time in seven years our kids have had dedicated space that was designed for kids to be in. Not a bar where we're taking the liquor bottles down so they don't break them. (laughs) We're throwing balls like, oh wow, you know. And at McGinty's, we've segmented one room into four. I don't even know how we did that. That was crazy, or no, it was three rooms. But they have dedicated space to the point of where, for the first time in seven years, when I go pick up my kids at Kid City, they don't want to leave. That's never happened. And then, like, Clayton Dittmer is, like, kicking and screaming because he doesn't want to leave the nursery. Kids are, like, really enjoying that. And we're just scratching the surface over uh, a new, a a huge change in a meeting time, a a completely different venue. We're kind of off of the strip now of downtown Silver Spring. But I just am imagining, hey, what's God going to do with this space? Because we got it at at an insane price. It's so cheap to meet here uh, compared to any other venue we've been in The last church I met in here was here for 10 years. So we know, oh, this church wants us here for a long time. Like, this is going to be good. And they are really low maintenance. Like, I never hear from them unless I ask them a question, and they get right back to me, and I'm like, this is fantastic. Any any renters in the room know what it's like to have a bad landlord? We have a good one um, to be here so far. So we're really excited for that. Um, We've also had a really solid year financially. Um, Restore people continue to be generous uh, our internal giving has um, continued to increase. Uh, and and in, the, in this section over the last year, it has increased more significantly than any other season in our church, which is really encouraging uh, to have that kind of foundation. <clears throat> We've able to, we were able to cut some significant expenses last year and, and this year, and we continue to give away 10% of our income to church planting. So we're, we're planting our second church, in September, we planted our first one last year in Counter Church in Columbia Heights with Joel and Megan Pasmino, and then Andy and Janet McNeely are starting a church in Baltimore in September, and that is progressing and going really well. Um, another step that we're really excited and plan to take this year is complete financial independence by the end of 2018. Church planning, if you don't know, it's very challenging financially, uh, this is part of, the, part of the thing, part of the movement. Uh, other churches, as churches are planted, external funds are given. And as the older we get, the less external funds that come in, they reduce over time. And this is the case with our church as well. And right now, we are completely on our own with the exception of a $2,000 a month gift that ends in at the end of 2018. And then we're on our own. Um, so our financial goals by the end of the year are to increase our giving immediately thousand dollars a month because that's how much we pay for this space and then by the end of the year we hope to replace that $2,000 a month that we get from outside with internal increase um, so that's our aim that's our goal <clears throat> if we do that we're completely financially independent uh, if we exceed these goals it's even more money that we get to give away whether it be the, um, the refugee with stuff going on in Greece uh, Amy and Janet's church plant we, there's lots of opportunity there's no shortage of opportunities for us to give ourselves away um, with our finances. Um, so if you are giving to, to Restore, thank you for your incredible generosity. We hope you keep it up and continue to increase it. If you aren't, we hope you'll consider supporting what we're doing and what, what we think God is going to do through our church. And as we approach summer, the blessing of the new staff, a new space to meet in, um, seeds have been planted. We are people that have faith that they will grow. There's two things I want us to think about today. Um, let's continue to pause and to celebrate those little moments uh, where we sense God is speaking, where we, we feel the seeds being planted in our hearts and our minds, or the opportunity to share that with other people. Um, have faith that they will grow, because we have a long track record to look back on and say, okay, it'll grow good things are gonna happen. Even if I can't see it, I don't know what's bubbling beneath the surface, but we know God is at work watering those seeds and they are gonna break to the surface. And then the second thing is, be in prayer for our church. I mentioned last week, and I'm gonna continue to mention this over the coming weeks, we've had a very fruitful year um, with ministry effort. Uh, we've done a lot of new things we've never done before. All right, we've met now, this is our third venue that we've had in the last year. That's a lot of movement. That's a lot of change. We went from meeting on a Sunday morning for five, six year, five years or so to now we're meeting on a Sunday afternoon. That's a huge change. We've also had a men's retreat, a women's retreat, a a beach day where we completely cancel church and we go three hours away to Ocean City. We've taken two uh, mission trips to Greece, which for a church our size is like, that's a lot. All right, two mission trips in one year. We've done a lot. So it's been fruitful. And if you've been through Discipleship Puddle, you know after a season of fruit comes a season of pruning. There's a season of rest. There's a season of God wanting to refine, to purify, to cut the branches back so that the next season there will be more fruit. The branches of our church will be able to support more work, more effort, more good things. And summer is a season, uh, we sense this is a really good season for us to do that before our new staff members get here. <clears throat> we're settling into this new space. It's a time of many holiday weekends. we got Memorial Day weekend. We have July 4th weekend, Labor Day weekend. We have at the beach baptism. Um, it's a time for us to rest and to be pruned and to embrace that season. So we're asking, um, i just going to continue to ask you guys to pray as, for our church community. We're going to take a few Sundays off, like Memorial Day Sunday. We're not going to meet July 4th weekend. We're not going to meet... Um, the, the beach baptism weekend we're not going to meet, and there'll probably be one or two other Sundays we don't meet where we really lean in to that pruning and that rest and, and pray about, okay, what's the next season look like for RC? What, what are we excited about? What concerns, what holes, what weaknesses do we see? What things need to be addressed if we're going to continue this movement as a church? Where is God leading our church? The more people that we have praying for that and leaning into that, the more power, the, the more of those seeds that we've already planted will be watered, the more fruit... That will be produced. So I hope you'll join us in prayer. We're going to start right now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for little, um, little powerful parables that carry such depth.